Hello, everyone. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. From Marcus Lopez, Fabiana Hirsch, I'm your host for the hour, Larry Smith. On today's program, remembering and honoring now ancestor from the Western Shoshone Nation and longtime indigenous activist, Carrie Dan, in this one-hour special here on American Indian Airwaves. You can hear when the moon shines bright, the lone This past January 2nd of 2021, in the heart of the Western Shoshone Nation, also Eureka, Nevada, Carrie Dan from the Western Shoshone Nation, a longtime indigenous activist, grandmother and elder, and now ancestor, moved on to the spirit world. Carrie Dan was co-founder of the Western Shoshone Defense Project, started in 1991, and she helped lead several efforts to block several northern mining projects in the Western Shoshone Nation and was a staunch opponent of shipping nuclear waste to the Yucca Mountain site in southern Nevada, which is also part of the Western Shoshone Nation and part of the treaty territories of the Treaty of Ruby Valley of 1863. We've had the pleasure and honor to interview Carrie Dan over the years regarding various struggles that her and her sister Mary Dan and other members of the Western Shoshone Nation have led. For the entire show today, we want to honor and remember longtime indigenous activist and now ancestor Carrie Dan by highlighting some of the interviews that we've done with her over the years. And now back to December 3rd of 2008, as we listen to Carrie Dan getting an update over the struggle to protect the traditional and treaty territories of the Western Shoshone Nation. In the first segment of our show, we speak with longtime indigenous activist and elder Carrie Dan from the Western Shoshone Nation and the Western Shoshone Defense Project over Toronto Canadian based Barrick Gold Company's Cortez Hills project. The 6,700 acre project includes a 900 acre open gold mine leach pit that is 2,000 feet deep and is located at the base of Mount Tanabo in the Western Shoshone Nation in the state of Nevada. I spoke with Elder Carrie Dan this past Monday on Barrick Gold Company's action this past Thursday to start construction on the Cortez Hills project, the destruction of the sacred site Mount Tanabo, and the violation of the 1863 Treaty of Ruby Valley. This is what she had to say. Well, let's go back to the very beginning, a little bit of history of Mount Tanabo. To us, Mount Tanabo, it, uh, it's, a, it's a spiritual site, you know, where some of our creation stories stem from there. And uh, it is also a place where our people fasted. And also this includes Horse Canyon, which is just over the hill from Mount Tanabo, and where they've done a lot of fasting. It is also a very spiritual place as far as the Western Shoshone people are concerned. Anyway, 
right now, Barrick Gold Mine is going full speed ahead to do underground mining there at Mount Nabo. And uh, they are also cutting trees down, you know, clear-cutting the little forest that we have. And we went out and protested that day before Thanksgiving and then again on Saturday. And it uh, seems like nobody wants to talk to the Shoshones. And the ones that's doing the clear-cutting their loggers from what a, this is a rumor now, I'm not sure, but their loggers from out of Oregon. And uh, they certainly don't want to talk to us. They move every time they see us coming. And the only one that some of the girls been able to talk to was the oiler from the company that was going to oil their their vehicles. And they asked him, you know, and well, I guess they didn't ask him. They told him that he was trespassing on Shoshone land. And he didn't, he said he didn't know the controversy that was going on as far as he know. That he had nothing to say, you know, because he didn't know anything was going on. But anyway, they told him that, you know, it's Shoshone land and that if he could possibly move his himself from the area, and which he did from what I hear. And um, Montanabo, uh, to me, it's a desecration of Western Shoshone spiritual area. I don't care if there's, you know, X amount of millions and billions of dollars in gold there. That is our area. It always has been. Hopefully, it always will be. We have asked the court to put an injunction on the action. And so far, I haven't heard back. It's supposed to have been happening today, you know. But... uh, I try to get hold of the attorney that's handling it, and he is not answering. He might call me later. I don't know, but I've been waiting for his call. And uh, basically, we all know that uh, to us, you know, it is a very special place, and it should be left alone. Can you talk about um, the the project specifically? My understanding, um, it's going to be an open pit, open leach mining gold pit, and it's going to be something like 2,000 feet in diameter? Well, that's what we've, we've been hearing. And uh, anytime you have an open pit like that, uh, some of the areas are going to be open pit. The area that they're going to desecrate is just number of, I mean, big, big, big acreage. And their uh, waste disposal there is going to be, I don't know, pretty big. They want to move the the county road that goes up the canyon they want to remove it so that they can have room for their waste dump and uh, there's only one spring that I know of and I'm pretty sure this spring will be pretty much under the dump and not only that but there's also you know it's kind of um, interesting but the spring is the Chinese burial site which is fenced off by the historical society of state of Nevada so I don't know what they're going to do about that, whether that's going to be included under in, in the so-called their waste. And uh, I don't know. To me, as a Western Shoshone and traditional Western Shoshone, it's a desecration of our site. It's a desecration to our beliefs. It just is totally wrong. I don't think they should even think about it. Carrie, um, you mentioned the Treaty of Ruby Valley, and I I know um, you and, and Julie have been on the show before, and especially in talking about prior struggles that you and and um, your sister endured, and and also to talk about the United Nations um, CERD ruling, the Committee to End Racial Discrimination, back in two thousand five, when when that. Uh, 
UN agency actually declared for the first time for any United Nations agency that the United States government had clearly and undoubtedly violated the Treaty of Ruby Valley. You brought the treaty up, and I was curious, what has been the federal government's um, response to this situation? And I guess it would fall with the the Bureau of Land Management as the um, the government representing government agency. Well, I can say that you know under third, I thought you know gave us a very fair description and a very fair ruling on what's happening. Uh, to the Western Shoshone people because, you know, they, they, all, they, I guess, condemn the United States for the human rights violation of the Western Shoshone people. And uh, to this, the government has not responded that I know of. They're just, you know, they're just going ahead, full speed ahead, because they were asked to stop doing this, and they were asked to, you know, to get together with the Western Shoshone people and talk this over and you know, maybe we can come to some kind of understanding, but that hasn't happened. They haven't, as far as I know, they haven't made an attempt to do anything about the third ruling. And, you know, the OAS also ruled against uh, the United States, and uh, the, the third ruling is just about the same, you know, that they asked them to, you know, to talk with us, and, you know, somehow we have to straighten this out, but they have not done anything about that. They're just, you know, just like everywhere else in the world, you know, they just try to push their way around. I know um, Barrick Mining Corporation, if I, if I recall correctly, they actually have um, been guilty or complicit in other uh, forms of human rights abuse, I believe, in uh, Nigeria if, and, or in, in South America. Is that true, or are you aware of that? Uh, I, I see. It's certainly, it's true, you know, in the different areas. They, they have abused the indigenous peoples of that area, and, and they have, I believe, uh, you know, desecrated the waters of that area, which, you know, what's going to happen here, you know, they're going to desecrate our waters, and they're going to do underground pumping and, you know, what they call dewatering, and, that's, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that's destroying life, and what they're doing in the other countries, you know, they say they're being good, but I don't see, you know, once you poison the waters, that's not good, you know? That's destroying life as far as I can see. At this point, you mentioned um, the possibilities of sinking uh, an injunction, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to provide our listeners with, with an update with the broadcast. I was curious to know what folks are, are doing outside of seeking an injunction through the courts. Well, we are, see- we are seeking an injunction. Like I said, you know, I try to get in contact with the attorney that's uh, doing that, but I haven't been able to get any response from him. I don't know whether he's in the office or what, what, whatever's going on. But anyway, um, we are planning to do something at this time. I'm not privileged to say what. It seems like there's, for indigenous peoples and certainly with, um, with the Western Shoshone Nation, as well as other nations, there's this kind of perpetual attack against Mother Earth, traditional homelands, and the desecration of our sacred sites. And for our listeners that uh, are not familiar with the Western Shoshones and, and Mount Tanabo, what would you encourage people to do? I would encourage them to write to the BLM, which gives the approval for all of these things, and mention to the BLM that, uh, you know, that how important this is to 
the indigenous peoples here, and also not only here, but, you know, this kind of desecration is going on all over around the indigenous people. And certainly they're not respecting the rights of the indigenous people wherever they go. And uh, they're buried gold mine and also other big gold mining corporations. They all act in about the same way. You know, they're all doing a lot of desecration and also a lot of contamination as well to the waters and to the air. We have um, here in the state of Nevada, we have a lot of mercury that's being that's polluting the air because the state of Utah and Idaho are complaining about the mercury that's coming from the mines. And uh, so far, I haven't seen any action. Maybe some mines, but actually, I haven't seen locally, you know, where the mines are doing any action, you know, taking care of the mercury pollution that's going around. Carrie, what does it mean when these resource companies have come in and taken all the resources? What does that mean for not only the Western Shoshones, but for other indigenous peoples that are going through the same or similar thing? Well, it depends on what kind of resources. You know, there's there's resources that can, you know, regenerate, and there's resources that can never regenerate, like the gold mine. They'll never be able to regenerate. And also, you know, they're pumping out the water. It might take 100 years if 100 years can regenerate the water that is being sucked out by the gold mining companies. And uh, to me, as a traditional Western Shoshone, it means death to the future generations that's coming up because nobody can live without water. And they are actually destroying the water resources, underground water resources. For our listeners, we have a lot of indigenous and a lot of non-indigenous listeners. And what would be your your words as an elder, your advice to the youth out there? Well, first of all, be proud, you know, that you are an indigenous person. And I would advise them to go back to the elders. And if their elders are, you know, they know their own, you know, history, go back. Learn your history about what happened with United States citizens came into the area, and also be proud you are an indigenous person, and uh, never, n- never ever say that you're not. Because I just got a call from a listener here not too long ago saying that I have some students that's going into some colleges and they don't want to be indigenous person, and yet they got a scholarship to go to college, and the scholarship is based on indigenous. And so I, w- I would say, be proud of who you are. Never be afraid to say, I am indigenous, and I believe in my own ways, because the time has come for other peoples, you know, to respect the indigenous ways. And, I mean, it can't resist, but to, I mean, they can resist, but they shouldn't, because our ways are just as important as any other ways. And you're listening to a special here on American Indian Airwaves in remembrance and honoring of Indigenous ancestor and longtime Indigenous activist from the Western Shoshone Nation, Carrie Dan. And now back to the December 3rd, 2008 interview. 
a lot of our, our indigenous youth now grow up a, away from home and and uh, sometimes or a lot of times uh, even our adults are, are disconnected with the struggles such as that you're going through and have gone through for many decades and how would you encourage not only the adults but um, the youth out there to engage those issues at the grassroots levels that you and and many others have faced for many many decades well, first of all, like I say, you have to learn your own history. You have to learn about, you know, what your people endured from the time of the coming of the Europeans. And um, I would also say, you know, to the history of the the Indian Claims Commission, because I think, you know, under the Indian Claims Commission, they destroyed a lot of the rights of indigenous people. And uh, to learn all of these things and then go from there. Because what they have done to us is certainly, it, it is not right. It's bad all the way through. And for them to learn, and, you know, don't take my word, but, you know, there's things out there they can find and study and find out for themselves. Now, you know, when the Indian Claims Commission, when they were in the state of California, well, paying the Indians off, it, it was horrible because I witnessed some of the things that they've done to the indigenous people there. And then if you didn't agree with them, they, they put you on the side and call you a splinter group there in California. And, you know, they're not splinter groups. They're just two indigenous people. That's all I can say about them. You know, they were being very honest with themselves and you were, they, they were looking out for the rights of the young generation that's still, that's still coming and, you know, and that is our that is our duty to look out for that uh, the new generation that's coming yet. And that was longtime indigenous activist and elder Carrie Dan from the Western Shoshone Nation and the Western Shoshone Defense Project. A quick update. This past Monday, United States District Judge Larry Hicks, after a two-hour hearing in late in the late afternoon, delayed ruling on a motion for a temporary restraining order to halt work on the 6,700-acre Cortez Hills project. And that concludes the first segment of our show today on American Indian Airwaves. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. you were sent by the creator I might be induced to think you had a right to dispose of me do not misunderstand me but understand you're listening to American Indian Airwaves a one-hour special on remembering and honoring now ancestor from the Western Shoshone Nation Carrie Dan she was a longtime indigenous activist elder and now ancestor for the Western Shoshone Nation. We're replaying highlights of interviews conducted with her over the years in remembrance and honoring her legacy and her contributions for protecting
including Mother Earth and the traditional ways of the Western Shoshone people. And now to an April 19th, 2006 interview, where I interviewed Carrie Dan and Julie Fischel of the Western Shoshone Defense Project over the U.S. Department of Defense's attempt to conduct a mini nuclear test in the heart of the Western Shoshone Nation. And for the third segment of our show, we go to the most bombed nation on land. Our first guest needs no introduction. She is an elder and longtime indigenous activist and leader within the community. She's worked diligently and hard with the Western Shoshone Defense Project. I'd like to welcome back to American Indian Airwaves, Carrie Dan. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you. And our other guest is also a longtime indigenous activist and lawyer with the Western Shoshone Defense Project. I'd like to welcome back to American Indian Airways, Julie Fischel. Welcome, Julie. Thank you. It's good to be back. And our third guest joins us from the Shundahai Network, which was formed at the Nevada Nuclear Test Site in 1994 by a council of long-term nuclear disarmament activists at the request of Shoshone elder Corbin Harney, a Western Shoshone spiritual leader. We have, we'd like to welcome for the first time here on American Indian Airwaves, the executive director of the Shundahai Network, Peter Lister. Welcome, Peter. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you. Thank you, all of you, all of you, for joining us here on American Indian Airwaves. I want to read this uh, press release um, and get your reaction. Speaking with the media last week, U.S. military spokesman James Tegnelia confirmed US, the United States plans to detonate a 700-ton explosion at the Nevada test site on June 2, 2006, in a test called Divine Strike. The location of this test would be on western Shoshone land and would be in direct violation of a recent decision by the United States excuse me, the United Nations Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination. In its decision made public March 10, 2006, the CERT Committee urged the United States to freeze, desist, and stop actions being taken or threatened to stress the nature and urgency of the Shoshone situation, informing the U.S. that it goes well beyond the normal reporting process and warrants immediate attention under the committee's early warning and urgent action procedure. The third decision, decision explicitly cited ongoing weapons testing at the Nevada test site, as well as efforts to build an unprecedented high-level nuclear waste facility at Yucca Mountain. Kerry, I want to go to you first. Your initial reaction by the U.S. government's uh, declaration to resume the equivalent of nuclear testing this June 2nd. I think they're real crazy. <laughs> what else can I say? You know, you have to be really crazy to be even, in, you know, setting that kind of things at the test site because all that land is all radiated anyway. And they're just going to lift up the dust. And then we're going to get again the nuclear, the nuclear um, fallout. One of the things, uh, Julie, if I turn to you, is, I mean, we just had the United Nations uh, Committee on Elimination of Racial Discrimination, you know, issue its decision. Um, I mean, saying the United States government has clearly been in violation of the Western Shoshone Nation's treaty rights, basic or fundamental human rights. And now here we have, shortly after this decision, the United States government says, guess what, we're just going to continue bombing you. What, is your, what was your initial thoughts? 
Well, I mean, I, I agree with Carrie. I think they're nuts, too. But, um, my, you know, looking at this, actually they made their decision to detonate this uh, bomb late last winter is what I'm seeing in the paper, at least, is that they, they claim to have sent a, a letter to the state of Nevada and federal agencies um, a couple months ago. So, you know, my initial reaction is they are just, not all on the same page in terms of the UN decision um, and that we need to inform them and we need to stop the test from taking place. Um, now, on the other hand, they could say, we don't, we don't care what the UN says and we're going to do this anyway. And in that instance, then, we continue to build the pressure up at the UN level and continue to get folks here um, on board and starting to take some real action that will, you know, stop these types of activities from taking place. I mean, the United States government has gotten away with violating fundamental rights of indigenous peoples for hundreds of years. And I think it was quite telling in their response to this UN committee, um, when the UN committee asked them last August, you know, give us your rationale, you know, this is what we're hearing is happening, give us your reasoning um, and give us your side of the story. And the U.S.'s response to them was to tell them that the issue of the Western Shoshone was not a novel issue. So I mean, they're they're just they they've been criminals for so long that they think it's okay. So um, I mean, to me, um, you know, this gives us an opportunity to really get people to start waking up about what's going on in this country. Peter, I want to turn to you. Maybe um, talk a little bit. Um, about Shunda High Network and the struggle and the activities the Shunda High Network has been engaged in uh, since the 90s to prevent uh, nuclear testing in the Western Shoshone Nation. Well, Shunda High Network has been engaged in trying to stop what they call subcritical nuclear weapons testing from happening at the test site. That's a test where they take weapons-grade plutonium and pack it with high chemical explosives, detonate that, and then determine basically the stability of the plutonium or uh, what happens in terms of ejection of that material into the surrounding area. These are all underground tests, but still they're uh, illegal under the Treaty of Ruby Valley as recognized by both uh, this recent third decision as well as Organization of American States in uh, 2003, their decision, their human, uh, international, or Inter-American Commission on Human Rights decision. Um, so they're still illegal under the treaty and under international law, um, they continue to do them. They just did one last month, a subcritical nuclear weapons test. And uh, we did just, oh, also, we haven't just been working on nuclear weapons issues. We've been working a lot on nuclear waste issues, as you mentioned earlier, um, trying to uh, stop the Yucca Mountain project from going forward, not just because it's an incredibly stupid plan on its own, but because, again, it violates the uh, Treaty of Ruby Valley, it violates the human rights of the Western Shoshone, and is part of the whole process that's much broader in terms of other types of activity that continue to violate the, uh, the human rights of the Western Shoshone. We're also working really closely with members of the Skull Valley Band of Goshutes on their Goshute Reservation in northern Utah to stop a privately owned high-level nuclear waste dump that's, that's part of the Yucca Mountain Project, only where Yucca Mountain's a federal Department of Energy project. The, uh, the one on the Skull Valley, proposed for the Skull Valley Goshute Reservation is a privately owned facility and is and they claim it's going to be temporary, though we're very skeptical of that. Been fighting that for eight years, and they just basically, or they just recently received their final license approval from the uh, Nuclear Regulatory Commission for the private dump in Skull Valley. 
Um, in terms of this detonation that was planned for June 2nd, we did just get the news today that the state of Nevada's Environmental Protection Department mm-hmm. was able to get the uh, Defense Threat Reduction Agency, that's the federal agency who's hosting the, the test, we did get them to cancel the test. Well, we didn't, but the state of Nevada got them to cancel the test. So um, the so test on June 2nd will not take place? No, no, no. Well, as of right now, it's postponed okay. pending, um, pending the, the, the DTRA, the federal uh, agency, demonstrating that they're in compliance with an air quality permit that is okay. held by the state of Nevada. So if they can prove that they're in compliance with that permit, then the process will go forward and the test will be conducted. If they can't, then there will be a delay. And, you know, this administration is dedicated to its bunker busters, to its nuclear weapons, and bold violation of everything it's trying to accomplish around the world to stop other countries from doing it. Um, so we expect that the test will probably continue, or that the process for that test will continue to move forward. But over the next two weeks, the feds have to demonstrate compliance with the state of Nevada's um, air quality standards. However, they nowhere is the federal government even considering how this is relevant to the recent UN decision, and they don't really seem to be taking seriously anything coming from the Western Shoshones. Um, we've been re- uh, if you go on globalsecurity.org, okay. there's a really interesting link having to do with this detonation, and it's giving information about the opposition to the detonation. Mm-hmm. They mentioned Shanghai Network. They quote from the press release. But they're saying the same thing that other federal agencies say about Western Shoshone land claims and about how this is all settled, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we've got work to do to inform the public, um, to inform the public here in the United States and to get international support pressure brought against the U.S. government. And we really need to stop this test. Uh, I want to read a quick quote. We only have about two minutes left. Um, James uh, Tegnelia of the Defense Threat Reduction Agency was quoted by a um, a French uh, press is saying, quote, I don't want to sound glib here, but it is the first time in Nevada that you'll see a mushroom cloud over Las Vegas since we stopped testing nuclear weapons. He goes on to say the largest single explosive that we could imagine. Unfortunately, um, we have about a minute left. I want to go to you, Kiri, to give you the closing words. What is our responsibility as indigenous people and as people who are concerned about world peace, world justice, and the Western Shoshone Nation? Well, our concern as human beings, <clears throat> and especially the traditional people, is the fact that this is, whereas we're supposed to take care of the land instead of destroying the land. That is, that's supposed to be our job. Take care of the land, take care of it for the future generations to come. And certainly, you know, by detonating this type of bomb and uh, um, any kind of, you know, weapons is not taking care of the land that's trying to destroy life. And the, the way I see it, they're trying to destroy all life, not only human life, but bird life, animal life, all life that's on this earth. And... Uh, I, I, I don't think that it should be allowed to happen. And, Julie, people that want to get a hold of the Western Shoshone Defense Project, do they have a website or a phone number you want to give out? Yes, the website is ws, as in Sam, dp, dot org, and the phone number is 
888-646-0230. And we do have an information and alerts email list that you can sign up for over our website. And I know that Shindahai also has an information and alerts list through there um, if you contact them. Peter, you want to give out the website for Shindahai Network real quick? Yeah, it's www.shundahai.org. That's S-H-U-N-D-A-H-A-I.org. And as Julie said, we do have that uh, email and alerts uh, list, list that you can sign up for. Our phone number is 801-533-0128. Carrie, we've been speaking with uh, Indigenous uh, Elder Carrie Dan, Julie Fischel from the Western Shoshone Defense Project, and Peter Lister from the Shundahai Network. I want to thank all of you for joining us here on American Indian Airwaves. And that was an interview from April 19th of 2006 with Carrie Dan, Julie Fischel, and Peter Lister. You're listening to a one-hour special here on American Indian Airwaves as we remember, honor, and acknowledge now ancestor Carrie Dan from the Western Shoshone Nation. She moved on to the spirit world this past January 2nd of 2021. We are playing interviews with with her over the years in remembrance and honor of her lifetime struggle to defend Mother Earth and the Western Shoshone peoples and the Treaty of Ruby Valley. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves and now an interview from 2004 with longtime Indigenous activist, elder, grandmother, and now ancestor, Carrie Dan. In 1863, the United States government entered into the Treaty of Ruby Valley with the Nui Western Shoshone Nation, agreeing in exchange for Indian commitments of peace and friendship, willingness to provide right-of-way through their lands, and the granting of assorted trade license to recognize the boundaries encompassing the approximately 24.5 million acres of the traditional Western Shoshone homeland, known in their language as New Segovia. The United States also agreed to pay the Western Shoshones $100,000 in restitution for environmental disruptions anticipated as the result of Euro-American commerce in the area. Last week, President Bush signed the Western Shoshone Claims Distribution Act, uh, allegedly reimbursing the Western Shoshone peoples for the lands of New Segovia in which they still own and occupy. I'd like to welcome to American Indian Airwaves, longtime grandmother and elder and indigenous activist from the Shoshone Nation, Carrie Dan. Welcome, Carrie. Hi. And I'd like to welcome also from the Shoshone Nation, from the Western Shoshone National Council, Raymond Yao. Welcome, Raymond. Yeah, thank you. And well, I'd like to welcome back to American Indian Airwaves, Julie Fischel, Director of the Western Shoshone Land Recognition Project. Welcome, Julie. Thank you, Larry, and thank you for having us on today. I'd like to start with you, Carrie, because um, I, I think a lot of our listeners who are familiar with the struggle, um, especially with, with you and your sister and, and um, the Bureau of Land Management illegally coming on to um, your tr- traditional homelands or New Segovia, and illegally taking your cattle and your horses. What what is your response to uh, President Bush signing this bill? As far as American law is concerned, you know, uh, I look at that. It sounds constitutional. It's their laws, and they should live according to their laws. 
the reason why I say this because those bills through Congress to the legislative branch of the United States government, they went through some process that, you know, I wasn't even aware that there was such process as whereby you can have two people approve of whatever that was before them and call it majority. Uh, you know, it was astounding to me that, you know, that they can do things like that. I did, I find it, you know, so it's not democracy. It's few people that's, that's doing it. And as far as Bush signing the bill, I had, you know, I always think that he, he would because I feel that he's very anti-Indian. And uh, I look at even Senator Reid and Congressman Gibbons, I I just seem to think that they have acted so unconstitutionally. There is no rule of law under which, you know, to uh, guide the even, even the courts and the lawmakers, the legislative bodies, because it's because when you're an Indian, they can do whatever they want, whenever they want. And uh, and it seems like me, this is what's happening. We had, you know, we we've been opposed to it. Even the tribal governments were opposed to it, and they listened to a few people, and they call it people's issue. And I, I think that's wrong. In history of the Indian people across the United States, they always get one guy drunk, and then, you know, they have him sign something or the other. And that basically is repeating itself. They get these two guys or three people or four people. They pat him on the back, and they say, well, gee, you're a good Indian, you know, we'll work with you. And they fall for it. And that's what they're taking. These good, few little good Indians that's out there, you know, getting a pat on the back and accepting of whatever the United States has to do for us. And, you know, the Senator Reed is listening to him. Senator Reed is working for him. Senator Reed isn't listening to the tribal government that's out there saying, no, you can't do this. And uh, I, 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 just, I just seem to think that, you know, you're either going to, work with the tribal governments or you're going to work with I don't know whom just anybody you know like I said the past history was that you get the Indians drunk and you made them sign papers nowadays you pat them on the back and then you get them to agree to give away western Shoshone land and when when this type of thing happens to me it is a fraud it's a, a total fraud what the United States has committed is a fraud and I'm sorry, I just I just can't call it anything but a fraud. And uh, they they claim that, you know, I guess the land might be worthless to them, but to us as a Western Shoshone, it is our mother. And, you know, you can never buy the rights of our mother from us, and this is, you know, what the traditional people are saying. You can't buy the rights of our mother from us. Why even try, you know? But then we have a few people out there that says, okay, you know, pay us individually. I think that is wrong, too. And I don't look at these people that's out there claiming to be that. I don't claim to look at them as Western Shoshones. I, you know, they could be aliens as far as this person is concerned. I just don't agree with them. And But yet they're the ones that U.S. legislative body and, you know, the executive are listening to. I think um, just so our listeners understand, um, the Western Shoshone Nation land or New Segovia um, encompasses parts of Utah, Idaho, California, and Nevada, a substantial part of Nevada. 
And this, um, this so-called uh, Claims Distribution Act um, apparently is uh, valued at $145 million, um, in which approximately 6,000 members are going to receive a one-time payment of $20,000, and $1.5 million of that is going to go into an educational trust fund. Now, the value that the United States government has determined to use the land value according to the land value in 1872. Which was 15 cents an acre, approximately. Absolutely. And what's even, wor- what's even more sick, and, and you just um, articulated this or mentioned this, is that uh, the government seems to think that they can remedy the situation by just paying us money. That's right, and you can't you can't buy Western Shoshone religion. You can't buy our culture. So I mean, you know, I I just think I think it's wrong. And and pretty soon I said they're going they're going to go out in the whole world, maybe Iraq, and try to buy their religious, you know, <laughs> their religious thoughts and their religious way of life. You know, they started here. What's stopping them? And Larry, if I can add something, this sure. is Julie. Um, the the critical nature of what's happening right now with the Western Shoshone, um, it can't be underemphasized. Um, we were told directly by um, a United States official representative to the Organization of American States mm-hmm. that they plan to use this process of compensating Native people for lands that they claim have been taken or, or you know, what other mechanism they want to use this through Central and South America when extraction and other what they call development industries want access to indigenous lands. And so, you know, it, it needs to be stopped here um, in the United States before it spreads further, and which it has, as we can witness around the world. But um, if they're not stopped from internally from within the United States, they can run havoc everywhere. Oh, absolutely. And, and I, for our listeners' sake, uh, this is not an isolated case, and probably the best... Um, other example is um, the United States government attempting to uh, reimburse the Lakota people for the illegal appropriation or taking of the Black Hills. And uh, for our listeners that aren't f- familiar with that case, um, it's very much similar to what uh, what's taking place here in New Segovia. What's even worse is that uh, apparently uh, government wanted to award $17.5 million for the entire Black Hills against which the government initially uh, sought to offset with $3,484 in rations um, in 1877. Now, the court did revise the proposed award in 1979 to include a 5% simple interest accruing annually since 1877, adding up to a total of $105 million lumped in with the original $17.5 million principal award. This made the federal offer $122.5 million. So this is not what's taking place in New Segovia is not an isolated incident. And what I'd like to um, defer to, to Raymond, who's the chief of the Western Shoshone National Council. Now, Raymond, I, I actually had the honor and privilege to hear all three of you uh, yesterday with, um, with Margaret Prescott on Sojourner Truth. And, uh, Raymond, you did such a um, succinct job of articulating the legal history of the U.S. government's gradual occupation of uh, New Segovia and its so-called legal justification 
in occupying uh, Western Shoshone lands. I wonder if you could, um, first your reaction to the, uh, President Bush signing the Western Shoshone distribution bill, and then uh, if you could give our listeners kind of that legal history that you provided yesterday. Certainly. We didn't have any doubt that uh, if uh, the bills came out of the Congress, uh, that the president would sign it. Uh, in our efforts to, uh, to stop, stop this bill over the last couple of years, uh, we did find out that the pressure to get it passed was coming from the White House. So it was no surprise that uh, he signed it when he got to it. And again, I reiterate what Kerry said, that uh, there is no legal process involved here. They have totally ignored their laws. They haven't fulfilled any of them as they, per- as they pertain to the Western land rights. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just a, a modern-day theft. Uh, the legal history, of course, goes back to uh, the early days of the United States in 1787 when they passed the Northwest Ordinance. And in there, basically, in layman terms, it says that the United States will not take Indian land without their consent. Um, and then in 1834, they passed the Trade and Intercourse Act, and the, the sections 11 and 12 says that uh, only the United States government can deal with Indians, not their citizens. And uh, then when you get down to when they created the Territory of Nevada in 1861, they referred right back to the 1787 Northwest Ordinance, said that no Indian land would be included within the Territory of Nevada without their consent. And uh, in our search down through the years, we have never found where we gave our consent to be included in the Territory of Nevada, let alone the state. The 1834 Trade and Intercourse Act goes right directly to their claim of gradual encroachment. If that act says that only the government can deal with this, with the Indians, then how can the citizens affect the gradual encroachment? And again, uh, like Kerry said, because we're Indians, it seems like that they can do just anything they want, and never mind what their law says. We have challenged them down through the years on these points, and they have never addressed any of them. They have, to this day, never addressed any of them. Now, what they will say with the... With the uh, completion of this distribution act with President Bush signing it is that they will now say we paid the Western Shoshone for their land and that and that will be their answer to any international pressure or even in, internal pressure uh, that was what they was what they will say and basically it, it's a fraud it's a lie <laughs> it's, it's uh, the greatest land theft that's been per- perpetrated I guess in modern times. And you're listening to a one-hour special here on American Indian Airwaves in honor and remembrance of longtime indigenous activist, elder, and now ancestor of the Western Shoshone Nation, Carrie Dan. Here on American Indian Airwaves, we're playing excerpts of interviews with her over the years in remembrance and honor of her lifetime struggle to defend Mother Earth and the Western Shoshone Nation. And now back to a 2004 interview with her, Julie Fischel, and Raymond Yell of the Western Shoshone National Council. Well, I think the other one of the other ways um, to describe this process too is that, um, and that nobody in in the media is is honestly uh, addressing it this way. That this is a form of genocide. It's a form of political genocide. It's a form of of cultural genocide as well. Because without the land, the land we have that relationship with the land. And if we don't have land, how do we sustain our relationship? with the land and with who we are as as indigenous people. And one of the other things that the press hasn't talked about, and, and Julie, I'd like to, I, I brought this up with you the other day, is um, in terms of the monetary settlement or, or monies that are being, um, that have been determined, is how much are the, are the lawyers being paid? 
out of this settlement? And 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 does any way the payment to the attorneys that are involved with this uh, with this uh, case diminish the amount of um, the one-time payments that are going to go to tribal members, or diminish the amount that's actually going to go to the educational trust fund? Well, the claim that was brought in the Indian Claims Commission was brought by a law firm called Wilkinson, Craig, and Barker. Right. And they, brought, they were involved in drafting the Indian Claims Commission statute with Congress and then went out and, and claimed to bring in all these Indian clients. But, you know, if you look at the history of the situation here, Western Shoshone have um, openly opposed and protested those proceedings from the beginning and were not allowed to fire or bring in attorneys to challenge these attorneys that, you know, may have, as we dig through documents, we may find connections that they're linked to the federal government may be much closer than many people already already know now. Uh, but they were received 10% right off the top, and that was in 1979, so $2.6 million at that time. Um, now we have documentation that another attorney who claims to be the one that has drafted this legislation and assisted it in moving along is seeking another approximate 6% off the top of uh, this next distribution, if it, if it actually occurs. Right. We don't know how many other attorneys are out there that have contacted the Bureau of Indian Affairs or have been working with the offices of Senator Reid and Congressman Gibbons or others or with the White House, um, because we were told by congressional staffers that this bill was, in fact, the administration's bill. So we don't know how much money other attorneys may be getting paid. And we also have to take into consideration that this land is the third largest gold-producing area in the world. It's worth, worth billions of dollars. Um, and, you know, when you look at the National Mining Association and some of the large corporations' amounts spent on lobbying, you wonder how much work has been given to attorneys within the industry off the backs of the Western Shoshone to get this forced payment through. I, one of the other things I mentioned, too, is that if the Treaty of Ruby Valley never conferred um, or relinquished title to the U.S. government, then technically individuals that occupy the traditional lands um, of the Western Shoshone Nation, technically if they were born within those lands, then technically speaking they're not U.S. citizens. Yeah, it, that is true. I mean, I mean, truthfully, if that land has never been appropriated or through legal, devious legal means taken from the Western Shoshone, then people are legally are, are occupying your homeland. And if they were born there, then technically they're not citizens of the United States. Was that true? Yes, that, that's, that's very true. I would have to look at, I'm not sure, I'd have to look at how the, and maybe Raymond's already looked at this, how the United States treats um, uh, people that are born overseas. That's true. That's a good point. If they're given citizenship because of their parents' citizenship, and they were, and I wonder if, if that would in any way impair on their um, their voting rights, but at a state uh, and federal level. Um, yeah, because these would not be they're not trust plans, right? Through the federal system. That's right. Now, from what what is the direction that um, the three of you uh, are going to take from in response to the signing? of the Western Shoshone uh, Distribution Bill. Carrie, I, I know you um, well, heard from you first. My, my stand is that they can't buy my religion, they can't buy my culture, and they can't buy my Mother Earth, my water, nor anything that's sacred. And uh, 
you know, I, I I seem to think that if democracy works and, and, you know, taking away your religious beliefs, taking away those sacred things, then, I don't know, it it is spiritual and cultural. It's a genocide. It's a completion of the genocide that started from the East to the Westward movement. And it's being committed today in the legislative body of United States Congress and the highest office in the United States, the President of the United States. And, uh, you know, I, I feel very strongly that it's American laws, their laws that they're breaking. If they can't live by their laws, then, you know, I feel they're not trustworthy people. Raymond, did, do you want to add to that? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, I'll echo the same thing Kerry said, that the, the religion, the land, and the, the attachment that we have uh, to our Mother Earth uh, cannot be bought and is not for sale. Um when this distribution uh, uh, gets going, you know, at the proper time, uh, I will uh, formally, through documentation, uh, reject this, this award. And Julie, how do we fight judicial imperialism, in particular with this case? Well, I think it's a, a question that Indian people have been asking for hundreds of years now. I mean, this has um, been going on for a long time. You know, and I think the biggest... Um, the, the most important thing is that we keep the truth out there. Um, because here in the United States, what I've learned from, from working on this issue is that the way that the U.S. government works is that it's not, I don't think they go by possession as nine-tenths of the law, but perception. They're spin masters. And um, they, can, they can create perceptions about issues that the general public just blindly follows. Um, and so one of the biggest things that, that we work on here from our organization is ensuring that the perception of what is happening and what has happened and what is legal and what is not is accurate. Western Shoshone uh, retain title to their land, period. And uh, they will continue to assert that no matter what the United States government says. Um, we have to be very vigilant because the United States um, has already, there's already talk in the local papers of opening some of these lands up for privatization. So on each of those actions, we're going to have to challenge them um, legally, administratively, however we can, or, or through, you know, direct, um, direct action. And um, so that, you know, is something we have to watch out for. And, and, and a big part of, of um, this struggle is ensuring that Western Shoshone people understand their own issues and their own history. Um, Bureau of Indian Affairs has, has done a good job of creating a structure of bureaucracy in Indian country um, that that clouds out the real issues like this one, and it, and it separates people, and it, it creates um, bodies that don't represent the um, Indian people and don't reflect traditional values and beliefs. And so it, it you know, it's 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 just it's still continued assimil- attempt at assimilation. And so those are the kinds of things that, you know, the main things um, that at least from this organization's view, you know, that we have kind of on a high priority. And uh, Carrie and and Raymond, um, and I'll start with you, Carrie, is for our indigenous listeners um, here in the Southern California area, um, what would you like to say to them in the closing moments uh, on this segment of American Indian Airwaves? Carrie? Well, I'd like to say to them, you know, you know be, be proud of who you are and what you are. Be proud of your, your heritage. And uh, I know what happened in the state of California where, 
you know, you people were degraded, but, you know, other than that, just be strong. And if you see wrong being committed against other indigenous people, let the wrong, or try to correct the wrong that's being committed. And, uh, you know, what else can I say? And, you know, be be an indigenous person and be proud of it. Raymond? You know, I'd basically say the same thing, except uh, probably add a little bit to it, that... Uh, uh, do not forget, uh, you know, the uh, lineage that you have of being a Native American, and uh, never forget that uh, that uh, this is what we are, and uh, and not to be ashamed of it, but to be proud of it. And uh, we we come from a, from a great line of uh, mighty warriors in the past, and uh, you know the way of fighting now is different. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's not with uh, arrows and stuff anymore, but it's with paper, you know, the white man's way that uh, I would encourage everybody, uh, you know, to keep their Indianness about them. I'd like to remind our listeners we've been speaking with two members of the Shoshone Nation, uh, longtime indigenous activist and grandmother from the Shoshone Nation, uh, also part of the Western Shoshone Defense Project, Carrie Dan. I'd like to thank you, Carrie, for joining us here on American Indian Airwaves. Thank you for inviting me. And I'd like to thank Raymond Yao, who's chief of the Western Shoshone National Council, also from the Western Shoshone Nation. Thank you, Raymond. Yes, you're welcome. As well as Julie Fischel, director of the Western Shoshone Land Recognition Project. Uh, Julie, thank you again for joining us here on American Indian Airwaves. Thank you, Larry. The moment of silence is over. And that concludes our show for today here on American Indian Airwaves. We are acknowledging, honoring, and remembering longtime indigenous activist, elder, and now ancestor from the Western Shoshone Nation, Carrie Dan, who moved on to the spirit world this past January 2nd of 2021. You've been listening to excerpts of interviews conducted with her here on American Indian Airwaves over the years. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studio of Burnt Swamp Studio in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, Fabiana Hirsch, I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time. Wearing their souls on the thread. The moment of silence is over. Why your freedom manifests on their graves And the blood never comes clean from their guilty minds Nor the hands that hold the chains
of silence is over.